Awash. That is a title that I take out of John chapter 13, verse 1 to 11. It is wonderful to have you listen in. If you are a Christian, this will be a good podcast to listen for. If you find the Bible interesting, it will be good for you to continue listening. I will be unpacking this, these 11 verses in the book of John chapter 13. In the chapter prior to that, in chapter 12, we see that Jesus has become quite a prominent figure um, in the area of Bethany and Jerusalem. He had, in chapter 11, he had risen Lazarus from the dead. Uh, he is visiting with that family. And so he goes about preaching to the crowds of people that come to see this man who had risen another man from the dead. People come from everywhere to see the man that has been raised from the dead and the one who actually did it. And so there's a crowd of people that seems to be around Jesus consistently. Jesus then prepares to go to Jerusalem to prepare for the Passover feast. He's going to eat the last Passover evening with his disciples. And the book of Luke chapter 22 verse 7 to 13 tells us, an interesting story as he says to his disciples to go into town and they will find a man there with a water jug. And then they must go to him and say, hey, um, the teacher is here. Where can we prepare the place where we can have the last supper? And then he's going to take them to an upstairs room and they're going to prepare there the Passover feast. And it's interesting when you go read about how these guys actually did the Passover, that a lamb had to be slaughtered, etc., etc., it must have been quite a mission for these disciples to prepare for this meal. Now, we know now that this was the last meal that he would have with his disciples. This was the last time he had spent three years with these 12 men. He had mentored them. He had taught them. He had chosen them. He had done miracles in front of them. He had loved them. And this was going to be the last time that he sits down and has a conversation with them. Now, I want to read to you what happens around that table. That is what we find in John chapter 13, verse 1 to 11. The text says the following. Before the Passover festival, Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart from this world to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Now, when it was time for supper... The devil had already put into the heart of Judas, Simon Iscariot's son, to betray him. Jesus knew that the Father had given everything into his hands, that he had come from God and that he was going back to God. So he got up from supper, laid aside his outer clothing, took a towel and tied it around himself. Next, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet and to dry them with the towel tied around him. He came to Simon Peter, who asked him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus answered him, What I am doing you don't realize now, but afterward you will understand. You will never wash my feet, Peter said. Jesus replied, If I don't wash you, you have no part with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. One who has bathed. Jesus told him, doesn't need to wash anything except his feet, but he's completely clean. You are clean, but not all of you. 
for he knew who would betray him. That is why he said, not all of you are clean. Now let's unpack this. Just a few things that is said in this text. First of all, in verse 1, the text says that Jesus knew that his hour had come. Now, if you go read the verses prior to this, then you then you see that Jesus was in the house of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus when when Mary and that was in Bethany, where Mary went and anointed his feet with perfume. You remember that with very expensive nard that was worth a year's wages in the American context. You would say about twenty-eight thousand dollars of perfume was poured on the feet of Jesus, and Jesus tells us what that means. To Jesus, it means she is anointing him. For his burial. In other words, it was a sign from God that he was going to die. Then Jesus rides on a colt on the back of a donkey. He rides into Jerusalem. Now, what does that tell you? That tells you that's a fulfillment of prophecy. Once again, that the King of Kings and Lord of Lords will be riding in humility on the back of a donkey. The crowds at that point are shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, King of Kings, Lords of Lords. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And so there's all kinds of shouting that Jesus is the King. Then we see the Gentiles, people who who do not really believe in the Jewish God. They come to Jesus and they say, hey, we want to spend some time with you. These are all signs that Jesus interpreted to realize that the time has come for him to redeem the world. The time was at hand for him to suffer. The time was there for him to be crucified. And so when Jesus says he knew his hour had come, all of these signs from God pointed into one direction. He is going to the cross. And what's interesting what he says to his disciples here is he says to them, Hey guys, I am leaving. I'm about to die. I'm going to be crucified. But you guys, you are staying. The Holy Spirit provides us some insight as to what was going on in Jesus' mind. Just think about that for a moment. This is the last time Jesus is going to sit down with his disciples. What is he thinking? He knows he's about to die. He knows that they're going to stay behind. What's going on in his mind? Well, the one thing that's going on in his mind is this. Love. Love. The NIV says that Jesus was now going to show them the full extent of his love. The translation I just read says, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And I found that quite interesting because Jesus then says, okay, this is my last night with you. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to show you how much I love you. I don't know if you've read the five love languages, that book, but these guys say that, you know, every person has a different love language. And here they are physical touch. Some people need physical touch for other people, acts of service for other people, gift giving for other people, words of affirmation. And for some others, it's still it's just quality time. Now, which one of those languages resonates the best with you? Think about that for a moment. And then let's think for a moment what Jesus does here to his disciples. Which love language does he use on them? Well, he's washing their feet. So there's physical touch. Right? Secondly, acts of service. He's washing their feet. He's serving them. So he's already using two love languages. 
quality time. He's already got three, therefore, of the five love languages. He's giving off his time and the most quality time imaginable by washing their feet. I assume as he was busy washing their feet, he was talking to them. And you could say there was words of affirmation. Um, gift giving, no, I'm not sure about that one. But hey, Jesus does pretty well. He speaks to them in at least three different love languages to show them how he feels with them. Now, verse 2 is interesting. It says, now, when it was time for supper, the devil had already put it in the heart of Judas to betray him. Isn't that incredible that Jesus is having supper or dinner with the greatest betrayer of all kind? In Matthew chapter 9 and verse 11, Jesus was accused of having uh, meals with sinners. Now we see Jesus even sits down and has a meal with the worst man on the planet, the Hippocrates, the servant of Satan. He is sitting down with the servant of Satan. The Diabolos, the accuser, the devil, had already planted in the heart of Judas to betray Jesus. The question then becomes is how did Satan plant something into his heart? How does that work? I think it works through money. You see, the text says that Judas loved money. Remember when uh, Mary poured the expensive perfume on Jesus' feet? It was Judas who complained. Judas complained that that money could have been spent on the poor, etc., etc. Ladies and gentlemen, we need to be careful of the promises of money. Judas Iscariot, he was a lover of money. That is how Satan managed to enter his heart. Because Satan knew, hey, if I promise this guy 30 pieces of silver, I am sure that he will do whatever I want him to do. John chapter 13 verse 3 says, Jesus knew that the Father had given everything into his hands, that he had come from God and that he was going back to God. Now, when I read this, I was totally blown away. There are three things <coughs> that Jesus knew. No matter what happens or what Jesus does, his exit ticket has been purchased. His exit ticket from what? His exit ticket from this world within which we live. Remember that Jesus existed before this world was created. The text says that He spoke, He created the world. And nothing that has been created has, been not, has not been created by Him. He, in that other words, <coughs> if you understand how creation works, everything, time, space, and matter had to start existing at the same time. That tells us that Jesus lived outside of space, time, and matter. So imagine that this is difficult to wrap our heads around this, but Jesus was outside of space, time, and matter. Then he entered space when he was born. He entered time for 33 years and he became matter. In other words, he, he adopted a fleshly body. That's why John 1.14 says the word became flesh. Right? So Jesus transferred from eternity to temporary. From no space to space. From being a non-physical entity to becoming matter. And now Jesus is saying, okay, I know where I come from. I come from outside of space, time, and matter, and I know I'm going back there. I'm going back to God. Jesus is eternally secure. He can, his escape from this miserable earth is definite. But imagine it wasn't the case. Imagine the father said to him, Okay, my son, 
If you go to the cross and die for the sins of the human race, then you can come back to heaven. So in other words, go die on the cross, then I'll make sure I get you back to heaven. But that wasn't the deal. His exit was guaranteed even if he didn't go to the cross. Why did he choose to stay on miserable, sinful earth to suffer at the hands of those he made? Why in heaven's name would he sign up for that? Jesus has everything in his hands, the text says. Everything. What does that mean? It means literally everything. That means in his hands, he has the hearts of men, the lips of evil. He's got the government in his hands, the emperor of Rome, the gold of Rome, the equilibrium of the earth, the whole universe is in his hands. Now, what would you do in that position? If you had all the authority and the power in this universe in your hands, what would you do? Break Judas's feet, perhaps? Pop the heart of every Roman soldier? Let the lips of every Pharisee grow closed? Speak the earth out of existence and just say, okay, guys, let's just end this. Let's end the planet. Let's end the human race and let's start over again. Let's build a new place. Jesus is in the most powerful position any man has ever been in. All power and all ability rest in his hands. The universe rests in his hands. He came from eternity. He's going back there. He has all power. And what does he decide to do? What would you do in that position? What does Jesus do with his hands? Well, you know what Jesus decides to do with his hands. He wraps a towel around him, takes off his outer garment. He goes down in his knees. What does the most powerful man in the universe do with his hands? He washes their feet. The meal was being served in the guest room of a stranger. There were probably no servants there. And the, the washing of feet was usually done by the lowliest of servants. And none of the disciples had yet stood up, taken a towel to wash one another's feet. They were still standing around wondering, I wonder who's going to do it today? If they were in Bethany, Mary would have done it. There was nobody low enough in that guest room to get it done. So Jesus did it. The famous public figure, the king of Israel, the one followed by thousands, the one the kids sang about, the man with the universe in his hands, the greatest person and most popular person in Jerusalem, the greatest person that has ever lived, goes down on his knees and he begins to wash the feet of his disciples. He holds the whole world in his hands, but he chooses to focus them on feet. Jesus took all the power of earth that was in his hands and used it to do something that a person with no power and authority could also do. Wash feet. In God's kingdom, it is more powerful to wash someone's feet than to rule a million men. Well, why did Jesus do this? Why did Jesus choose to do this with his hands that is all the power in the universe. Well, Matthew 20 verse 28 tells us, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give His life as a ransom for many. That is why Jesus came. Ladies and gentlemen, 
We don't all have power in our hands or popularity. We don't all have power to do great things, to transform government, to make loads of money. But we all have power to wash people's feet. And you know what that means, right? It means that we serve people. In humility, we offer up our lives for them. Now Jesus wants to wash their feet. But Peter, Simon Peter says, Hey, Lord, you know, are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus said, Hey, well, what I'm doing you don't realize now, but afterwards you'll understand. And then, and then Peter says, You will never wash my feet. Whoa, bro. You don't tell the most powerful man on earth what he will or what he won't do. What is going on with Peter? You know, Peter had such a high regard for Jesus, he could not imagine Jesus treating him like a master. Because that's usually how it works. The servant washes the feet of the master. He believed Jesus is Lord, but now Jesus becomes his servant. Ladies and gentlemen, it's difficult to accept a gift from someone. It's difficult to walk through the door first when somebody offers it. It's difficult to be given the best seat in the house. But that is who Jesus is. Jesus gives a gift that we have to accept. He lets us walk through the door first. He gives us the best seat in the house. That's who Jesus is. Jesus is teaching Peter here how salvation works and what saved people do. I beg you to never forget this statement of Jesus. If I don't wash you, you have no part in me. If I don't wash you, you have no part in me. If you want to be connected with me, you will have to let me wash you. It's not about earning God's favor. It's about accepting God's favor. Surrender. Let Him do it. Accept the gift. Accept the love. What if Peter still said after this, No, you won't wash my feet. Would Jesus have forced Himself onto the feet of Peter? No, He wouldn't. Jesus never forces Himself on people. So what am I saying? Let go. Stop trying to get yourself to heaven. Surrender. Let Jesus get you in. Rest in His mercy, not in your goodness. And I think so often about this last meal and I wonder, how did Judas handle that? How did Jesus handle it washing Judas' feet? If there's one person sitting around this table that should have refused his feet to be washed, it would be Judas, right? You see, Judas was a taker and he was an abuser. He represents the sinner who keeps on sinning and thinking that he will be okay. And it's striking for me that Jesus washes his feet. You know what, you know what Jesus is saying to Judas? Hey, I love you too. He washed Judas' feet too. And Judas said nothing. Now, if I was Jesus and I knew what was going to happen, it would have been a crackling meal. I would have broken his toes one by one. I've got the whole world in my hands. I could frummel up his toes one by one. The author of life, Jesus was, with all power in his hands. And he still decides to gently wash the feet of the man who was going to betray him. Verses 9 to 11. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus responds, now you clean, 
but one of you you are not. Peter wanted all of Jesus. And once again, Jesus sort of vacillates between figures of speech. Peter, you are clean. But Judas, you need a bath and you need a full one. You need to clean your hands and your head, Judas. You cannot get yourself clean without Jesus. Jesus has to wash your feet. He has to wash you. And in order for him to wash you, you need to sit so he can do it. And you need to accept it when he does so. And you need to sit there with a clean conscience. You have to be open with the man who washes your feet. It's awkward and personal when someone washes your feet. But if you were, I mean, just imagine for a moment you are sitting there physically how would you feel if Jesus washed your feet right now? How would it feel to you if you had betrayed Jesus and he washed your feet and you say nothing? Let's pause a moment. What would you say to Jesus if he was washing your feet now? Say it in your mind. You are sitting. Jesus is washing your feet. What do you have to tell him? To get clean, you have to come clean. Now let me conclude with three points. Serving others is the most powerful thing you can do with your life. Loving those who hate you is the most noble thing you can do in your life. Letting Jesus wash you is the most responsible thing you can do with your life. May the God of heaven and earth bless you, and may you have a wonderful week. Bye.